0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live Podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, a special Palm Sunday message featuring Dr. David Wilson. As we approach the Easter celebration of Jesus Christ's resurrection, we also reflect upon the events leading up to His crucifixion. How did people respond to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem? What were the attitudes toward Him, both from supporters and detractors? And how does that apply to us today? Let's listen in on this week's message, Responding to the Lamb of God, from Pastor David Wilson.
1: We've been going through the book of 1 Peter, but we're going to take a break. The next several weeks. Of course, next Sunday is Easter. Today, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 21. I'll also be referencing out of John chapter 12. Um, I'm not going to be reading a lot of these passages for the sake of time, but I will read the Matthew passage if you'll stand while I read beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, At the Mount of Olives when Jesus sent his two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of, God, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to your truth today. Pierce our hearts, convict us of sin, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Today we traditionally call Palm Sunday. It was Palm Sunday and because of a sore throat, little five-year-old Johnny had to stay home from church. Well, when the... family returned home. He didn't stay by himself. There was somebody that stayed with him, but his family went on to church. They were carrying several palm fronds or palm branches when they came walking in. And Johnny asked his brother, what what are those palm branches for? His older brother said, well, people held them over Jesus' head as he walked by. Johnny said, wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday I don't go and he shows up. This is a day when Jesus shows up. Completely different from the rest of the time. The disciples didn't know what he was about to do. In fact, it's really unusual because most of the time when Jesus healed someone or did some kind of miracle, he would tell people not to go tell everyone. And now he comes parading into Jerusalem. Most of us know the general outline of what happened to the triumphal entry. But have you ever stopped and thought, why did Jesus ride in on a donkey? Why did people put down palm branches? Why did they cry out Hosanna as he passed by? What does it all mean? The triumphal entry is probably the most overlooked and least understood of all the events of the last week of Jesus' life here on the earth before the crucifixion and resurrection. Fred Craddock said the triumphal entry is a parade, a protest, and a funeral procession all in one. We know what a parade is as the crowds were cheering him on as he came in. It was a protest in some sort because the palm branches meant victory and they had used those a couple of hundred years earlier in the Maccabean, when the Maccabeans took back over Jerusalem and and there was a parade, they waved palm branches and some historians say that it was against the law at that time to have palm branches inside Jerusalem because the Romans were dominating and so those palm branches could have been some kind of protest. And of course we know that Jesus knew it was a funeral procession because he knew that he was about to go to the cross. What's interesting is the triumphal entry is repeated in detail by all four gospel writers. That in itself is significant, which tells us there's something to this. And there's one other thing I want you to notice, and that is that Jesus is in complete control of all of this. Uncharacteristic of him, now, He is drawing attention to himself. The disciples are even surprised. They're walking behind him. They they went and got this donkey, and now he's parading himself. So I want us to look at some of the, uh, the, the facts or the truths contained here. First of all, notice the arrangement by Jesus. I just read the passage in Matthew chapter 21 that if you go to John chapter 12, verse 1, it says that on that six days, that is the, uh, before the Passover on Friday, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, Bethany was a special place because that was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus had spent a lot of time there. But on this occasion, Jesus turned a funeral into a celebration. You remember what happened? He raised Lazarus from the dead. Just a day or two before it might have been the day before, and so hundreds of people saw this and and the word spread like wildfire, and people came from everywhere to see Jesus and on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Jesus left Bethany with his disciples and which is in Bethany's own Part of, of the Mount of Olives. It's, it's on part of that mountain. But on the other side of the mountain, facing Jerusalem, is, was a little community called, and I'm going to call it Beth Page. That's the West Texas translation of it. Beth Page was a very small village. And when you're on that side of the Mount of Olives, you can look into Jerusalem. You'll see the Kidron Valley, and several of us are going to be there uh, in a couple of weeks, and, we, and they'll see what I'm talking about. But Beth Page was on the northern. Um, western side I guess of the Mount of Olives and so you could see part of Jerusalem and he sent his disciples in to get a donkey first day of the week and when you read Matthew's account you realize that two disciples went and brought back two uh, uh, um, a mother donkey I don't know what the official name is and a colt and I'm sure somebody's going to tell me after church that's whatever that's called but it was the mom and the colt. And at this point, Jesus got on the colt. It would never been ridden. They put some cloaks on it, and Jesus got on that and he began to ride down the Mount of Olives toward the eastern entrances of Jerusalem. Luke's account says that during that ride, he begins to weep over Jerusalem, and that's a whole other message in itself because he talked about how Jerusalem missed their day of visitation with Jesus. But he's riding on a donkey, and after 575 years, a prophecy is fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's coming as a gentle king, but he's also coming as a righteous king to bring salvation to his people. Jesus could not have chosen a more unlikely way to present himself to a nation. Now listen, nothing had been more unlikely than a king to come riding in on a donkey. If the scripture had not predicted it, no one would have dreamed it up. That explains why the Romans sat by idly and let this happen. I mean, the Romans didn't put up with any kind of crowds gathering together, and we know that the, the streets were crowded with people, and all of a sudden, this throng of people surrounds Jesus as he's coming down the, the side of that mountain to, in, toward to, into Jerusalem, and they're shouting all kinds of things to him, and they sat idly by. From their point of view, the Romans thought it was a joke. A king on a donkey? you got to be kidding. No self-respecting king would be caught dead on a donkey. If you wanted to make an impact, you rode in on a war horse or a chariot. But on a donkey? It's it's not hard to imagine the Romans laughing. (laughs) What is this? Here's a pauper king riding on a borrowed donkey. His saddle is a makeshift layer of cloaks attended by an unruly mob whose only weapons were palm branches. It's a joke. He didn't look much like a king that day, but here's what I want you to remember. This entry was an acted parable because Jesus is saying, I am your king. I'm not the king you were expecting. You see, they wanted him to overthrow the Romans. He came in as a king, but not the king they were looking for. Make no mistake about it, folks. He was in control. But this wasn't the time for him to come in as a king as that song was just sung by the choir. Now, I want to tell you, he's coming again. This time, he'll be a king. And this time... He's coming to take his church. He's coming in judgment. But Jesus was saying, I really am your king. You're looking for a king. I'm the king. In fact, just a week later or less than a week later, he's dying on a cross. What did they put on the top of that cross? King of the Jews. So we see the arrangement by Jesus. This was no accident. He came riding in on a donkey. Came riding in on as a king, but just not the king they were looking for. Then you'll notice the arrival of Jesus. Now, this is really, if you don't hear anything else I hear today, I, I expect at least one amen on this point somewhere today. I'm going to go to John chapter 12 for just a second. Six days before Passover, just as verse 1, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead. Then down in verse 12, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. The road into the city was extremely crowded and here's why. It was Passover. There were three feasts that every Jewish male was required to attend in Jerusalem. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths. And Passover was the greatest one. A couple along with the Feast of Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. But listen to back in the Exodus, chapter 12, the people are getting ready to exit Egypt. Listen to what God tells Moses to tell His people. Speak to all the com- this is Exodus twelve three. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the per- of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you may keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. According to Exodus 12, on the 10th day of the first month of the new year, which is the month of Nisan, the Jewish calendar, every man was to select a lamb that would be the right size for his household to eat. That's not all they did with it, but that's that's what he was talking about, the size. And if the lamb is too big for your household, then join with your neighbor and y'all share one. Now, we know that they put the blood on the doorpost, but the lamb had to be a year-old male, Without blemish or defect. In other words, it wasn't going to die anyway. The family would then keep the lamb until the 14th day. For four days, they would hold on to this lamb. Examine it. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem was lamb selection day. For 1,500 years, they had been coming to gather a lamb for the Passover. And Jesus comes riding in on lamb selection day. Why did we miss that? Because most of us don't know the Old Testament. Most of us don't understand the Passover celebration. But the writers of the New Testament got that message. Because listen to what some of them said. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Hebrews 7, 27, he sacrificed for sins once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews nine twenty eight, Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. Book of Revelation, 20 or 20 more times, 20 or more times, you, Jesus is referred to the lamb. Revelation 5, 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. In Genesis 22, Abraham is about to offer Isaac and and he was asked about it and Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb. Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ just happened to come in on lamb selection day. Just a coincidence? Well, let let me tell you something else. On the eastern side of Jerusalem, You've seen the golden gate or the eastern gate. It's all walled up now. And the Muslims put a cemetery in it, so they thought they could keep Jesus from coming again. It's a big joke, but to me. But anyway. Most of the people see that eastern gate, and that gate led right up to the temple. And a lot of commentators believe Jesus came into that gate, but I want to tell you something, I don't believe he did. And here's why. Because just north of that gate. On the same path coming from Bethpage into Jerusalem. At the north end of the Kidron Valley. And by the way, I need to throw something else in here. You know where the lambs were raised at that time for the temple sacrifices? Bethlehem. Y'all make that connection? (laughs) And it's at the other end of the Kidron Valley. The lambs are brought down the valley and they're brought in the northeastern gate is called the sheep gate because they brought all the sheep in that way so that they would be later chosen to be sacrificed in the temple. So when Jesus arrived... After 1500 years, on the day that the Jewish people had been picking their lambs, Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes walking, marching, not marching in, riding in as the king, but also as the Lamb, and comes through the sheep gate, basically saying, I am your Lamb, pick me. Now you see, all of that comes to make sense, doesn't it? What a God of detail! What a God of detail and precision. This date had been fixed since the foundation of the world. And Jesus came in saying, I'm going to be sacrificed for you. I am your lamb. They didn't get it. But you and I get it, don't we? If you see this arrangement of Jesus when the donkey and you see the arrival of Jesus on Lamb Selection Day, then you see the acclamation for Jesus in verses 8 and 9 as he leaves Bethany. All of these people began to flood to him. Let me tell you, hundreds of thousands of people were there. Josephus said there could have been millions. You imagine how crowded it was, and John chapter 12 tells us that there were people inside Jerusalem that came out to meet him, and then those that were coming from Bethany and had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, they were all excited too. So you had this big group crying out, Hosanna! Do you know what that means? Save us! Save us! Now, the I'm sure they meant that in a lot of different ways. Some of them wanted to be saved from the Romans. Save us. You're going to overthrow the Romans. But the word save us, the Hosanna, is what they were crying out. And most people, well, all of us that have cried out unto Jesus, save us, have been saved Uh, by his shed blood that you see the acclamation but I want to move on for the sake of time a lot of you know the facts about the triumphal entry you know how fickle the crowd is because it's a lot of these people that crying out save us or crying out crucify him in just a few days I don't believe all of them were but I think some of them were because he wasn't he wasn't the king that they wanted he wasn't the messiah that they wanted But I also want you to notice in this account the different attitudes toward Jesus, the different responses. And I also want you to know that every one of you in this room and everyone that's listening to my voice, either online or on television, you fit into one of these categories. We're not going to leave anybody out because all the responses that you saw at this time are the same responses you see today. The first one, I don't know him. In Matthew 21, 10, and 11, and and by the way, I I came up with some other stuff to add to it yesterday, so you didn't get it, so I'm just going to tell you what to write out there beside it, write out the word confused. I don't know him, confused. In Matthew chapter 10, the, the town begins to say, who is this? Who is this? Have you thought about people today who don't know Jesus? They don't really know who he is. There's so many confused people today about who Jesus is. Oh, he's a prophet from Galilee. He was a great teacher, so forth and so on. He was a good man. We know that there was a historical Jesus, but a lot of people don't know who Jesus really is. And a lot of you today may think, well, I know he was a good guy, but I want to tell you, he's the only way to be saved. He's the savior of the world. That's who Jesus is, but it's amazing to me how many people know about Jesus, but they don't know him personally. How far is that, 12 inches, 16 inches? About 12 to 16 inches away from knowing Christ. I don't know him. Who is this? There's so many people. Next week, there'll be a lot of people in this church who don't know him. Who is this? They know there's something to this Easter stuff. They said, I better go in there just to make sure I'm covered. And you get an opportunity to give a first impression. Please make it a good one. (laughs) You only get one opportunity to make a first impression. It'll be next week. Please make it a good one. You got to help me. Be hospitable. You got to look for people you don't know and welcome them and be kind. The second group, I don't like him right out beside that critical. Now, I don't have time to read it, but Matthew 21, 15 and John 12, 9 through 11, you find a group of people who are really ticked off. The Pharisees, the scribes, the rulers. You see, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who were making sure the Jewish people followed every jot and tittle of the law. They were very intrusive into people's lives. You better make sure you wash your hands just right. You see, they were disgusted as they saw Jesus who actually went against some of the things they taught. And and Jesus who didn't really cater to them. and, And the people were being drawn to him. The Pharisees kept trying to trick him They asked questions to try to trap him. They put moral situations in front of him which tested him. They tried to catch him in legal matters. They were unable to derail this man who taught all about God and performed miracle after miracle and slowly had the people following him, and they hated him. They wanted a ritual, Jesus. They thought the most important matter of religion was to be found not in how they believed or prayed, but how they dressed or how they washed or, how, or what they ate or did not eat. So they made up all of these rules. And the greatest fear is that their culture would be swallowed up by the Roman culture or the Greek culture and they wouldn't be Jewish anymore. So they emphasized every little detail that would make them distinctively... Jewish, these everyday rituals were the way they could keep themselves pure and unique, they thought. But then Jesus came preaching that um, the real way to God was through faith and he he broke the Sabbath and he ate with unclean people and he defied the laws of purification and it just chopped them all off and they hated him. In fact, John chapter 12 says... We're going to kill him, and we're going to kill Lazarus too. Occasionally, I I meet people who hate God. Maybe you hate God because a long time you prayed for something and nothing happened. Maybe you hate God because you prayed for his protection. Something bad still happened. Maybe you hate God because you think his people are a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites. Maybe you hate God because you realize you can't live the way that you want to live according to your own whims and desires. Maybe you hate Jesus because you feel trapped in guilt and God's always mad at you. If you're one of those people who can't stand God, I want to mention two things to you. First of all, every one of his people, those in this room, those in the kingdom are spread throughout the world, all of them are flawed. All of them are sinful. They're just forgiven. So you can call us hypocrites because that's what we are. We're just forgiven. We're not perfect. The second thing is if your pride and your choice to live leads you to wrecking your life, which it eventually will, trust me. Your choice is now... Leaving God out and the way you want to live, it's going to wreck your soul. I want you to remember this, that God still offers grace when you come to him. No matter where you are, no matter how mad you've been at him, no matter how much you hate him, he still offers grace. The next group is the I don't believe him in John chapter 12, let me read it one verse to you. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had done so many signs before them, he, they did not believe in him. You know, a lot of people today, they just don't believe in Jesus They just don't believe in God. They just say, you know what? That's just a big fairy tale. Right out beside it, calloused. C-A-L-L-O-U-S-E-D, for those of you who don't know how to spell it. There's still another group, quickly. I moderately like him. Listen to John 12, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Right out beside this convenient. You see, there are some people today who say, you know what, I I, I love Jesus, but I'm not a fanatic. I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm sure not going to be one of those guys out there in front of everybody. You know, a lot of evangelism today in church sounds like you want people to go to Jesus' Facebook page and hit like. And maybe you'll get some free stuff when you do that. But our gospel's not that. The Lord's gospel's not that. You can't be on the fence with Jesus. Jesus. You either love him or you hate him. There's no kind of like him, whatever's convenient. But a lot of people think, you know what? In fact, you know what? A lot of people come next week that just going to make sure there's, you know, if if there's something to this Jesus stuff, they're going to kind of like him. You don't kind of like Jesus. You either give him your life or you don't. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You don't kind of like me. You love me and follow me or you don't. It's interesting how people go with the crowds. Several years ago, it's been many years ago, there was an NCAA cross-country championship uh, track meet held in Riverside, California. 128 runners in this one race, 10,000-meter race, 123 of them missed a turn. And so they're on the wrong path now. Well, Mike... Del Cavo stayed. He kept saying, hey, you're going the wrong way. He kept trying to wave at him and go this way, this way, this way, this way. He convinced four. So five of them finished the race and weren't disqualified. And they asked him later, what were people saying to you? Or what do you think your competitors thought of your decision not to run with them but to go this other way? And he simply said, they thought it was funny that I went the right way. <laughs> and folks, you're going to have people in your life who think it's funny, who think it's strange when you follow Jesus Amen. because it's not going to be the crowd that follows him. Amen. It just won't be. Last of all, I know him. Right out beside them, committed or consecrated. These people shouted out three different things. Hosanna, I've already mentioned that to you, save us. To them it meant a lot of things. But I want to tell you, when you repent of your sin, you realize your sin has separated you from God and that you are lost and have no hope apart from a a Savior, You you begin to see that God sent Jesus and you begin to see that Jesus came in as the Lamb of God and died on the cross and you cry out, save us, save me, Hosanna. It's interesting how children interpret that. Mary Bernstein said, My six year old son came home from our Palm Sunday service proudly carrying his palm. My husband and I quizzed him on his Sunday school lesson for the day, and he told us enthusiastically Jesus came to Jerusalem on a donkey, and the happy people waved their palm branches and sang, Ho, Susanna. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Don't you cry for me. Hosanna save us and those who cry out to the Lord Jesus shall be saved and you go from knowing about him to knowing him here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They understood Jesus was God's representative. they would seen his teachings and his miracles and his parables and He was an extension of God, the Father. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. If you believe in me, you believe in God. If you don't believe in me, you don't believe in God. You cannot believe in God and not believe in Jesus, at least not the true God. That ought to stir up a few folks. Let me tell you something. Blessed is the king of Israel, they cried out. That means they understood he's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. My question to you is this. How will you respond to Jesus? Tim Keller, I love his answer. We must realize that the only possible way to respond to Jesus is extremely. You're either in or you're not. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. You don't have to join our church. You can commit your life to Christ. You can repent of your sins, receive Jesus. Let me tell you something. The first thing that's going to happen to you when you get saved is you want to be baptized. Jesus walked 30 miles to set the example for it. I was baptized by John the Baptist. That does not wash away your sin. But it's not optional either. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He said, if you're, if you're going to profess me before men, do it. Don't be ashamed. Don't dislike me and hide. Maybe God wants you to be a part of South Christ. If he doesn't, go somewhere where he wants you to be. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully we love to have you join here. If you're a child of God, you've been born again and baptized. But if you're not going to join, go someplace where you can join. Because Jesus gave his life for the church and he said, I want you to be a part of the church. Don't just be somebody who observes all the time. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm really not. But you just can't. You just got to join his church somewhere and you have to be baptized. You got to be baptized. It's not a choice. It's not an option. Let's pray.
0: Thank you, Pastor David, for that poignant message. Scripture shows us that Christ came in fulfillment of age old prophecies. Some received him, some rejected him. Many were so busy looking for an unblemished lamb for Passover observance, they failed to recognize that God had already provided the perfect lamb to take away their sin, Jesus. Today, people still must choose whether to crucify Christ or to crown Him. Our prayer for you is that you will choose Him as Savior and Lord. Be sure to join us again for our next installment of Southcrest Live podcast.